Okay. Okay. If you have a Bible or some kind of device or something like that, turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to read from verse 1 up to verse 7. And um, well, this is the New Living Translation, but we'll look at other translations in a, in a little bit. But um, it says this, Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the roads that run between Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod, just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms, bloodstained by war, will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David. For all eternity, the passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. I want to get you to cast your minds back to uh, what the time was like, what the world was like in that time. Imagine yourself as a resident of Israel at the time that Isaiah was given this prophecy. The whole nation was overshadowed by oppression, bankruptcy, and it, brought, it was brought by the Assyrian army who'd come and overthrown them. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 15 verse 29 describes that particular time. They had been living in a time, as Isaiah describes it, of darkness and despair. In fact, Matthew in chapter 4 harps back to it and he says actually, darkness and despair, living under the shadow of death. So in other words, at any time... The enemy could sweep in. It was in people's minds. It was in their heart. Their bodies were racked with it. This fear of death could come to them. Death was overshadowing them at any particular time. And Isaiah describes this time. In fact, back in chapter 8, verse 7, he says this. Therefore, the Lord will overwhelm them with a mighty flood from the Euphrates River. The king of Assyria and all his glory... This flood will overflow all its channels and sweep into Judah until it is chin deep. It will spread its wings, submerging your land from one end to the other, O Emmanuel. 
In other words, it would, it would sweep in like a flood. Sometimes when you, when you hear people, I hope you've never been in a flood, but you hear people saying, one minute the house was dry, the next minute it was, it was flooded, it was, and everything was washed away. That was what the Assyrian uh, onslaught was, was like in Israel. And this was this time. There were people dying. Innocent, innocent people were being slaughtered. Men, women, children. Floods of evil. The enemy was in government. They were ruling at that particular time. But... As Isaiah says, here comes a shaft of light. Johnny Mathis says, a ray of hope. Or he did. He's dead now. But it was a message of great relief. A time of rejoicing is near. Despair will be lifted. Darkness is being dispelled. So Isaiah 9, verse 2 says, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. And who is it that will bring an end to all this misery? Which world leader, which superpower, which highly trained army commander is about to overthrow these awful oppressors and establish Israel's security again? Come on, Isaiah. Who is it? Tell us. And Isaiah says, For unto us a child is born. I don't know about you, but if I'm a, an Israelite in that day, and I've got death overshadowing me any moment, and I hear a prophet say, For unto us a child is born. My instant response is going to be, A child. A child, you know, you, you mean a baby. What good is a baby going to do? What good is a baby going to do? It's going to take him 30 years to grow up into a, a, a fighting man or, or maybe even 20. But a little baby, Isaiah, what's the point of that? Thank you, but it's not a lot of use. Is there anything more weak? Is there anything more helpless, more dependent than a little child? But... The book of Philippians in the New Testament, chapter 2, verse 7, says this. He made himself nothing. He humbled himself to the position of a slave and appeared in human form. How can a little child save us? Isaiah goes on to say, to us, a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders what sense was Isaiah making here to the to the beleaguered Israelites what was he he's saying these people were desperate for deliverance and deliverance now it's true they were looking for a messiah all their scriptures had all pointed to this this chosen one the messiah that everyone was looking for but they were hoping and longing and no doubt had the impression that this person would be an awesome leader commanding incredible firepower, able to eradicate the enemies and drive them back out of their land and lead them to victory after victory after victory. But then this respected prophet began to describe this child. And he began to describe this child in titles that could only be referred to the Messiah, could only be describing this one who the Israelites had grown up hearing about Titles which would make it impossible for any 
any imposter to impersonate. Each name intricately described this heaven-sent saviour, revealing his true origin and his true identity. A picture being built up of a, of a leader, the like of which the world had never seen before. The Messiah of God, as Isaiah chapter 8 says, Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah didn't use the title Messiah, but rather the titles that the Messiah was described with. He shall be called Wonderful. Now, interesting, if you're using a device and you're using the U version of, uh, of that particular thing, there's a little tiny speech bubble at the end of um, Wonderful Counselor, it says, with no comma in between. But if you press that little speech buzz bubble, it actually says some, some uh, interpretations have wonderful comma counselor. And if you read the English Standard Version, it won't have that comma. But strangely, Bible interpreters are really strange, aren't they? The American Standard Version has that little comma in between. That little comma could mean a lot, actually. Because wonderful... The actual Hebrew word used by, my, by Isaiah comes from a root, a root word meaning two things, secret and miracle. Paul talks about this secret that has been revealed to us. But also, when Jesus came, he came by a miracle. That's exactly how he came. Have we got, oh, here we go. Here he is. That's how he, that's how he came. Mary was a virgin. She was a virgin. The Holy Spirit came upon her and she was pregnant. It was a miracle how Jesus came into this world. That's how he came. Luke 1 verse 26 says that. But his ministry, we know, was marked by many miracles. Many miracles. He healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind. He fed the hungry with just a small amount of food. He walked on water. He calmed the storm. So wonderful is not only how he came, it's who he is. But it's also what he does. What he does. All over the world, even today, there are people in need of a miracle. You might be in need of a miracle right now in your life, whether it's freedom from a government of oppression or the release of a mentality of depression. It's what he does. He's wonderful. He's wonderful. And he is brought by a miracle, but he brings miracles as well. He is wonderful. Israel was in a time of darkness and despair. It might be a good description of someone who you know right now. It might be your particular experience right now. You might be feeling in darkness and despair. Well, if that's you, Isaiah has some wonderful, wonderful news for you this morning. Unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. And he will be called Wonderful. There was a lot of wonder, weren't there? In that first story, the, the shepherds wondered. Mary wondered. 
The kings, when they came, wondered. Who knows? Maybe even, even the animals in that stable wondered. There was a lot of wonder going on. But he's a miracle worker. And he comes for people who need a miracle. Luke chapter 4 verse 18 says this. This is Jesus describing himself. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has appointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has set me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the downtrodden will be, uh, will be freed from their oppressors, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Wonderful is what he does. Miracles. He is wonderful. But he also says, counselor. If you look in the dictionary, a counselor is one who helps resolve. Someone to take advice from. A consultant or a guide. If wonderful is what he does, counselor is what he says. Jesus this morning has something to say to each and every one of us. If you just open your ear to the Holy Spirit, maybe even now the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Something about who Jesus is. The Holy Spirit is a counsellor. Jesus said, it's better that I go because I'm sending the Holy Spirit, the counsellor, the advocate, and he will lead you into all truth. That's what a counsellor does, leads you into all truth. This counsellor has the words of eternal life. He speaks the word and people are set free. Men and women gripped by life-controlling habits, mindsets that, are, the, that are, are, are bad for them. They're delivered and wonderfully restored. Jesus speaks to storms and they are stilled. If you've got a storm happening in your life, Jesus can speak to that storm and it will be stilled. He speaks to the demon possessed, and the demons obey him, and they flee. He speaks the greatest words that lost mankind could ever hear. Hanging on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. I wonder if he meant more than the soldiers who were crucifying, actually, when he said that. He speaks the greatest words Sorry, what, uh, what does he want? What does he want to say to us in the morning, early in the day? He says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. What does he say at the end of the day? He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Counselor is the things that he says, the words that he says. What he says are important. You see, there are a lot of counselors today. There's a lot of people giving us advice. A lot of it is not good advice. There's all kinds of agendas. There's all kinds of slants that people put on things, spin that, put, 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 that they put on, thing, on, on all kinds of things. There's many counsellors, but there's one counsellor. Spurgeon said this, It was meet that the world should have a counsellor to restore it. Because it had a counsellor to destroy it. You see, in the very beginning, when Adam and Eve were tempted, Eve listened to the counsel of the serpent. And it brought disaster. It reaped disaster. The counsel of Jesus is good. 
It's trustworthy counsel. It's infused with tender love. I have come to give you life and life unto the full, Jesus said. See, he's wonderful, but he's a counselor as well. And he's promised us the Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth. Isaiah says, mighty God. If wonderful is what he does and counselor is what he says, mighty God quite clearly describes who he is. The God of all creation, the Lord who reigns in heaven, the one worthy of all my worship and all my praise. God of all creation. If you were a Jehovah's Witness this morning, then you would make a distinction between mighty God and almighty God. They don't believe that Jesus is God. And so they they look at Isaiah and they say, well, you see, mighty God is a little bit different from almighty God. But actually, if they read a little bit further on in Isaiah chapter 10, verse 21, only in the next chapter, Isaiah refers to Yahweh, who is God. And he says this, the remnant will return the remnant of Jacob to the mighty God. So he uses mighty God to describe God the Father. So Jesus is described as mighty God and the Father is described as mighty God. He's the Son. He's the Son of the Father. He is mighty God. Both are clear statements of his absolute deity. Mighty God is who he is. Just think of all the things that Jesus did just in the the three short years of his ministry on earth. Jesus can do more in a moment than man can do in a millennium. Don't think that what you need from him right now is any way a drain on his resources. You know, sometimes we have things that plague us, don't they? They nag us for for time and time again. And we get a little bit down with that and we get a little bit depressed with that and we get fed up of bringing the same thing to God and saying, God, can you help me in this respect? And we begin to think, do you know what? I'm not going to bother God with that anymore. I'm not going to bother God with that anymore. And we begin to think, well, either it's an annoyance to him or it might be even something that is a bit of a drain on him. It's not a drain on him at all. He's mighty God. Someone said this, marvel not that God does great things. Marvel that he stoops to do such little things. What is a big thing in your life is a tiny thing to Jesus. He is mighty God. So if it's something that plagues you, something that nags away and gnaws at you, bring it to God. Such is the mightiness of Jesus. In 1715, King Louis XIV of France died. And he'd reigned for 72 years. And he insisted that his subjects called him all the way through his reign, the great king. He wanted to be known as a king better than any other king that had gone before. So he he wanted them to call him the great king. And his court was the most magnificent in Europe. And his funeral was equally spectacular. As his body lay there in state, uh, he'd ordered that it be laid in a gold coffin. And so this coffin was laid in the dimmest lit cathedral because King Louis had uh, had ordained 
that his gold coffin be laid out and just be lit by one candle burning. And as his subjects came in to mourn, that the flicker of this light from this one candle would just magnify how great he was with his body in state. And so at his memorial, thousands of people waited in hushed silence. And the bishop at the time, a guy came called Massilion, emerged at the foot of the coffin. And everybody was Everybody was looking to him and everybody was hanging on whatever word that he said. And this bishop, with great bravery, leaned forward to the candle and snuffed it out with his fingers. And then he declared to everybody, only God is great. Only God is mighty. Brave man. Jesus Christ is the mighty God. Only he is great. Only he is mighty. He's the light of the world. He's the only light of the world. Don't look for salvation anywhere else. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And no one, even though they've tried, can never put it out. He is the mighty God this morning. He's here to bring miracles. He's here to give counsel. He's here to be God. But Isaiah goes on and says, everlasting Father. Well, this relates to where he is. Where he is. He's eternal. He's eternal. He's in eternity. The Hebrew for everlasting means source or author. He's the Alpha. He's the Omega. He's the beginning. He's the end. He's the Lord of all creation. He's beginning and the end, the author, the finisher. In him, says Acts, we live and move and have our being. Colossians 1 says this, in him all things hold together. That's where he is. He holds eternity in his hands. Your future, my future, any anxiety that you have today, give it to the Lord of eternity. He's the everlasting father. The world is increasingly becoming a a terrible place. It's interesting. If you're a humanist and you rely on humanity, the world should be getting better and better and better because mankind should be learning lessons. But sadly, the news that we watch every single night, well, it's beginning to become an 18-rented program, isn't it? There's some stuff on there that you'd rather not see. You certainly don't want your kids to see it at tea time. And the world is getting a... Worse and worse place, steadily becoming like that. But we don't trust in man. We don't trust in, in, in kings, as the Bible says. We trust in the king of kings. Our future is in the hand of the leader of leaders, the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the everlasting father because he's in eternity. And finally, Isaiah calls him the Prince of Peace. If wonderful is what he does, and counsellor is what he says, mighty God is who he is, everlasting Father is where he is, Prince of Peace is what he brings. You see, politicians today seem to look for what they can get. 
Jesus looks for what he can give. Leaders surround themselves with servants. Jesus surrounded himself with servanthood. Leaders use their power to build empires. Jesus used his power to wash feet. Leaders trade their influence for financial gain. Jesus so loved that he gave his all. Leaders today need regular wars to keep weapons updated and ensure their own advancement. Jesus brings peace and rest to troubled hearts. Today, the greater a person gets in importance today, the more inaccessible they become. But Jesus is the Lord of all time, and he's called Emmanuel. He's called God with us. He is mighty God. He is everlasting Father. He is Prince of Peace. He is Counselor. He is wonderful. Let's bow our heads. Going to invite the band back up. Let's just take a moment. Just take a moment's silence. Just to think about how wonderful Jesus is. How amazing he is. How mighty he is. How everlasting he is. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the mighty God. He is the everlasting Father. And whatever you're going through right now, whatever your life looks like right now, Jesus knows, Jesus cares, and Jesus loves. He came for you. Who are you listening to today? Where are you getting your assurance from? Your encouragement? Who is your guide to life? Who's showing you the way? Who is your light? If light shows us the way, who would you say your light is? Let me ask you to consider this morning. Is Jesus your light? Can you trust him to guide you, to show you the way? Many, many voices have been throughout the ages declaring that they know the secret of life and the way to live. And many, many of those voices have disappeared altogether. They've faded, they've gone, they've died. We've forgot. And there are many, many voices today that are saying all kinds of things about how we should live, what we should do, how we should follow, what our attitudes should be. Some of them are okay because some of them are in the Bible. But there's many that aren't. 
many that aren't. Look to Jesus. See him as your light. You might have never looked into Jesus. You may never have thought, I wonder what Christmas is really all about. Let us encourage you throughout this lead up to December the 25th. Let us encourage you to look into who is this wonderful counsellor? Who is this mighty God? Who is this everlasting Father? Who is this Prince of Peace? Can he be for me? Father, I pray. Lord, as we gather here in this place, or we view on our computers and on our iPads, Lord, help us, Lord, to see you. Even though there may be chaos happening around us, even though we might be living under the shadow of death, help us, Lord, to see you. And may our hearts be full of wonder and joy and strength and peace. Because only you can bring it, Lord. We worship you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.